Welcome to No Challenges Remaining on day 10 of the French Open. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined once more, as we were before the tournament, by Tumani Cariol of The Guardian. Tumani, thanks for being back on here. How's your French Open experience been so far through uh, through 10 days? It's been eventful. No, it's been good. It's, it's, it's been a, a good tournament with two completely different draws, order and chaos, or not necessarily chaos, but it's been enjoyable. And you? I mean, if, if you'd said before the tournament that Pavel Yachenkova-Sedancek would be a semifinal in the bottom half. I think people would look at that and say chaos. Yeah. I mean, as much as we've lived through it and it can make some sense granularly, round by round, that's a, that's a wild result. We'll get to that women's result later. But let's start with the men. Actually, let's start with the match that just finished. We're recording this just shortly after the night session match, which Daniel Medvedev called out as being a craving cash grab by the FFT for Amazon money that the players weren't seeing any of, uh, I think fairly astutely. In this match, Daniel Medvedev, who was 6-1 against Stefano Tsitsipas, lost to Tsitsipas in straight sets, 3-6-5. Tsitsipas getting only his second win over Medvedev in eight matches, a rivalry that's gotten a lot of attention since their Miami 2018 fracas, uh, when when Daniel accused uh, Medvedev of uh, Tsitsipas of being you know, a small kid who can't fight or something. Anyway, we played the greatest hits, we'll talk about the greatest hits later, but, Tony, what do you make of this match? What do you make of, of Stefanos winning this match as convincingly as he did? Because it was certainly, by scoreline, it was a pretty pretty convincing match. And there were definitely parts of it, especially the first hour of it, that was very one. Yeah. Honestly, I, I came out being impressed with both of them, in a way. You know, mm-hmm. Stefanos is obviously the much better clay quarter, and he was the favorite, even though, you know, the matchup isn't great on, on hard court for him. And he played, you know, he came out and he played like that. I think in the first set, he lost just like four points on his serve. And, you know, he, he, I think the whole time, you know, aside from maybe a bit in the second set, he, he played at a, a steady level. And that's, you know, why he's been able to have so much success. And on the other hand, on clay, I should say. And, and on, on the other hand, Medvedev, you know, not only has, is clay not his service, even though he's in the core final, but particularly these conditions at night with, you know, the slower, heavy night conditions, that's just not, the, if, if ever he was going to be, you know, really competitive with Tsitsipas, it would have been on, you know, fast, sunny, hot, you know, conditions where they're, mm-hmm. they're fasting. I mean, we, we I, I'm sure you heard Federer the other day talking about how, you know, his, I guess not rant, but about how the clay courts aren't actually slow. And and so, yeah, in those conditions, they would have suited him much better than what they were here. And, and for the first and a half, he just couldn't hit through the court at all. And, you know, in true Medvedev fashion, you know, I wrote, like, in the piece I wrote about the fact that, you know, some players, when they change their games, you know, they, they change, like, the players who do adapt their, to their tactics, they, they make small changes. Whereas Medvedev is just like, this isn't working, I'm throwing everything out the window. And then suddenly you see him just, like, chasing down the net, hitting all these drop shots, doing all of these different things to try and disrupt Tsitsipas and, and find a, a, a way that worked. And it worked in bits in the second set. He had mm-hmm. two, two set points. It, you know, in the third set, he had, he hit like a million drop shots. You know, he, he thought he was Benoit Pair. But in, <laughs> but, yeah, but in the end, I think Sissipas' level was just too consistently high. You know, he rode all of, all of those, you know, that, what Medvedev was throwing at him. And then eventually he just yeah. came out on top. 
Yeah, good mention that Medvedev did have two set points in the second set. So, I mean, this easily could have gone further in, in those moments, had those critical points not swung. But yeah, Tsitsipas was the better player overall. Certainly was the better player for sure for the first set. Very convincing first set for him. And I think especially with his bad head-to-head against Medvedev, it was really important for him to get a good start because, like, that uh, Australian Open semifinal they played was just, like, extended torture from Medvedev of Tsitsipas where you, he just, like, couldn't compete. And Medvedev was really just toying with him yeah. and really just torturing him out there. And Tsitsipas made a good stand against that to stop that sort of dynamic from the match creeping in early and dictating the, the tone of it or the tilt of it. And, yeah, he, he kept it up and he was ready for... The nonsense at the end, which I guess we should talk about too, this match point, um, which is already getting discussed plenty, uh, down match point, his first match point of the match, Medvedev hits a uh, underarm or underhand, depending on what part of the world you're from, first serve, and which Sitsipas returns for a return winner to close out the match and then turns to his box and is, Sitsipas turns to his box and is very clearly happy. It's about as happy as I've ever seen him on court, just in terms of getting a win over over a guy like Medvedev. I want to ask what you think about the shot, but I will, I'll say what I think about the shot first, and then I'm curious what you think too. I think it's a perfectly reasonable play. It was just terribly executed. Like if you, if somebody's really far back, like we've seen plenty of drop of underarm serves work in the past couple of years in tennis, ever since Kyrgios brought them into vogue. But this one like bounced up high and was like more than waist high for, for Sitsipas to return. It wasn't, it was a bad execution of, of a tactic more than necessarily a bad tactic, I think. And and maybe it comes off a bit tanky being down match point doing it, but I think it's a valid tactic that was just sort of ham handedly uh, dispatched. What do, what do you make of, of the way the match ended? I thought it was a bit tanky. Not, I mean, not even, mm-hmm. not, even as, okay. not even as a criticism, you know, I agree. Like you know, when, it's it's a good it can be a good tactic, but I do think, you know, in that game he was down. Well, he's up forty love, and then he got pegged back, and you know the whole. I mean, as we just said, the whole match when something good happened, when he did something good, Sissipas would reel him back in. I think by that point he was just like, whatever, I will throw this in. If it if it works, great. If not, well, I'm I'm, I'm going home, and you know I made a quarterfinal after ne- never winning a match in Roland Garros, so mm-hmm. yeah, why not? He, he fulfilled his Zhang Shui prophecy of going from nothing to quarters. She, she stopped the quarters too. I mean, he, he filled the filled the script of, of, of the Zhang Shui role that he was that, yeah. that I was repeatedly saying he was playing. Yeah, it's not a bad tournament for him at all. Obviously, you tell Medvedev he makes quarters at the French Open. I'm sure he takes it. He had a shot actually of being number one yeah. at this tournament, potentially a slamless number one, which would have been a fun twist for the uh, for the dudes to have after all the years of women getting that. But uh, he's still obviously trending up. Still very much a top player. He has six pass. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say so. He has one more shot at that at Wimbledon. I mean, obviously, depending mm-hmm. on if if Djokovic wins this tournament or doesn't. If Djokovic doesn't, then that's one shot at Slamless number one or or number one. Yeah. Or, I mean, he's not winning Wimbledon, but a Slamless number one. It's interesting. I mean, we, I, there's, we haven't seen very much of people on grass. I mean, we've seen no one on grass in two years, pretty much. Yeah. So it's interesting to see how all these players come out on the grass. Players without long grass pedigrees, like Sitsipas and Medvedev, actually, too, come to mind. I mean, Medvedev did have that first round Wimbledon win back when over injured Vavrinka yeah. um, in 2016 or 2017, whichever year that was. Uh, and, uh, 2017, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, uh, so it'll be interesting to see how, how he adapts to it, how Sitsipas adapts to it. In the meantime... Sitsipas uh, gets into the semifinals. He plays against Sasha Zverev, 
against whom he is 5-2. and two. Ne- uh, Zverev has made one slam final before. Me- Sitspa still hasn't made one, although he's made three straight slam semis now, which is a pretty solid run. You know, getting towards, I don't know, Federer's streak of 20-whatever it was at the time. He's got three, so he's on his way. Uh, what what do you make of uh, of that match? How do you look? How do you forecast that match between these two guys? Well, so Zverev has been obviously playing. He's, he's won, after losing the first two sets, he's won 15 straight sets. He's... Clearly playing well, but he also hasn't played a seeded player yet. So yeah, the draw has been kind to Zverev. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the draw for Zverev, he played in the first round. He played Oscar Ata and lost two sets in the first first two sets of that match before reeling off the easily the next three. Then he played Roman Sefulin. Then he played Laszlo Jerry. Then he played uh, Nishikori, which is a solid enough opponent, uh, and beat him easily. In, in theory, beat, uh, in theory, yes. And then he beat Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. Both both Nishikori and Davidovich he beat four one and one. So very lopsided wins. Yeah. For for Zverev. So yeah, I agree. He hasn't really been tested. Yeah. So so, so yeah. But yeah, I think Tsitsipas has been. I mean, he's just, he's been playing so well, and like, as I said, his level is so consistently high. So, and he has a he has a good. I mean, that whole dynamic with the head to heads between those three players is just weird. But he has a he has a great head to head with Zverev. So. I, I think he, I mean I think he's clearly the favorite in that. It is kind of a fun little triangle rivalry, and it actually reminds me that I forgot to dwell on one part of the Sitsipas Medvedev thing I wanted to talk about before moving on. There was so much, you know, every time these two are near each other in a draw, Sitsipas and Medvedev, you know, people pull up the Miami twenty eighteen clip, which is infamous of them those two getting in a uh, a bit or, or really just really just it's pretty one sided of Medvedev just sort of chewing out uh, Sitsipas and, and and insulting him after the match on court and sort of challenging him to a fight as Sitsipas packs up his bag and leaves. Sitsipas really doesn't do very much in this video. It's all Medvedev and the chair empire and Ravi and Ravi Uba going, uh-oh. <laughs> I, I always wondered um, who, 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 if it was Ravi, but thanks for confirming. I'm pretty sure it's, I'm pretty sure it's Ravi. It sounds like Ravi. I wonder though, at this point, three years, more than three years later, like how much this is actually genuine beef because we're living in a time you know, of where there's really not very many genuine spicy rivalries at the top of, of men's or women's tennis, right? There's nothing along the lines of Pingus versus Williams's or even, you know, Ennin versus Williams's or uh, what would be some spice or Agassi Sampras or like genuine, like sort of, or I don't know, Hewitt versus entire continent of South America or whatever it would be that, you know, things that used to get people, you know, fired up that it was actually sort of a grudge match. You know, maybe we get this a little bit with Federer and Djokovic, I think you could say, but it's not like it's that's more honestly on the fan side than on uh, on court, really, even though the matches they do have a certain kind of uh, of tension. But I'm, I'm curious what what you make of this. I asked both these guys about it but before I, I'm going to play their clips, but do you, want, do you want to hear their clips first and then talk or do you want to talk before we hear their hear their clips? Hear the clips now. Hear all the clips. Let's hear the clips. All right. So I asked I asked both Daniil Medvedev and Sash and uh Stefanos Tsitsipas about this. Let's hear from Stefanos first, who was less excited about it, and then Daniil, who was a lot more intrigued by the whole concept. Stefanos, congratulations. I know a lot of people get excited about this match still in tennis because there aren't that many, you know, sort of fiery, spicy rivalries in, in tennis these days. And people talk about what happened with you and Daniil back in Miami three years ago. And I'm wondering if you still feel like this is a, a tense matchup for you two on court, or if that's in the past, if it's somewhere in between, or how do, how do you feel about this sort of rivalry you have with uh, with Daniil? I don't really think about it. It's been a long, it's been a long time since we played that match, so uh, kind of not part of my 
um, memory really. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't really a good memory, honestly. So, what for? I, you know, when when you two play each other, you and Stefanos, I think everybody talks about the Miami match that happened three years ago and gets excited that maybe this will be another sort of spicy moment because there aren't very many, you know, real rivalries with a lot of sort of tension. I think maybe in, in tennis right now. I'm curious, do you think that when you play Stefanos, do you still feel like there's some sort of history or some sort of edge to this to this matchup that you sense when you're on court or is that uh overrated at this point i think it could become um but because especially because of the big three tennis is considered as a super super um conservative sport super intelligent so we as young guys we need to follow this because otherwise we get destroyed by media by people so um, in other sports, we can see these rivalries where people actually just to, to heat it up. Maybe sometimes they don't even hate each other, but they try you know, to, to say some things to each other during the match or stuff like this. But tennis is not like this. So I don't think it's ever going to be between me and him uh, again, uh, any sort of fight or anything. Uh, but yeah, I find it uh, maybe a pity because uh, it could be much uh, funnier. Yeah, I think honestly their answers to mine kind of reflect my reading of the Miami thing. And and, and Tsitsipas talked about it when he was on NCR in 2018. That like wasn't a positive thing. You know, he's still like not happy that it happened, and he doesn't like dwelling on it. And Medvedev, I, I think people have probably seen the clip. He got asked about it by somebody in Miami this year. And as soon as it gets brought up, he has this huge smile on his face, and he's loving it. And he's like, "Oh yeah, I love that. That was one of my you know better moments in, in life." And it's still, again, in this time when there has not been very much relevant beef. I mean, okay, we have like Ryan Harrison versus several people I can throw in there too, but like relevant beef, you know, like what what do you make of 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 this rivalry? It's sort of being what it is. What do you make of any any of the answers or, or dynamic we've heard there? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's, I'd say. You know, my reading of their relations is that they probably don't like each other, but I mean, they're not, they're just going to keep it moving and do their own thing. And it's probably at this point, it isn't really a big issue. It's, it's been three years. I, I enjoy the, the clip because of the phrasing. Honestly, if, if, if Medvedev had just said like, fuck you and just moved on, you know, that wouldn't be as amusing as, as the, the phrasing, you know, but. I mean, yeah. Phrasing on court in Miami, you mean? As in, okay. yeah. yeah as years, in his, three years ago, yeah. yeah. And, but yeah, I, I, I think like in, in both, in, in regards to Medvedev's comment, you know, people are, this is quite, these, these relations, most of these relations are just banal, right? They're, they're just colleagues. No one, you know, even if people don't like each other, they, you know, mostly nothing happens. I, I also think on the mm -hmm. other hand, you know, that there's constantly you know people want to see these players as best friends like one of my one of my pet peeves is like when a player i don't know when 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 an uncle interviewer is speaking to a player and talking about their next opponent and they're just like oh you're playing your friend x person next and i'm like how do you know these people are friends i have no idea if these people ever speak to each other you know and so i feel i feel like there's a clamoring for uh both conflict because there isn't much and also for friendships when obviously players are, are friends, but, you know, I don't know, a lot, a lot of these relations to me are just kind of banal. And, and, and yeah, I, I agree with what going. No, I was just going to say, I think they're overblown, overblown in either direction. Yeah. We were looking for, for nerves. And I guess specifically I'm wondering about, about this Medvedev since the past thing. Like, I don't, there was nothing, I think people were there like with popcorn ready today for this match. 
and I don't think really anything happened in this match yeah. that was that was really traceable to there being particular yeah. beef. Like yes, Medvedev went on like a couple little rants at the about umpiring about noise in the, outside the stadium or something like that, but they were nothing to do with Sitsipas's presence. I don't yeah. think. So yeah, I yeah, but at the same time, I get that too, and I and I and I think there is, and I agree with what what Medvedev said. You know that this very conservative tone to the the relations and the, and the sort of images of players and and in the big three era and it's very sanitized and he said he said it was a pity because it could be much more fun if it was different yeah. and and i don't disagree with that you know i think there's plenty of room and that's part of why i i think a lot of people find curious to be such a breath of fresh air and certain people obviously he's very polarizing but certain people really like that he's willing to be you know as brit say a bit aggro or whatever and, and uh you know, take on, uh, you know, more confrontational tones because everything is so deferential and so polite and so, you know, glancing and non-penetrating, whatever it would be, you know, all the time on tour. And, and it's nice to have a little bit of uh, rancor out there in a, in a sport that is a, a head-to-head sport. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, speaking of rancor, uh, Sasha Zverev gets through his quarterfinal against Davidovich Fakina, we mentioned previously. Tamani, you wrote about... Uh, this, this sort of a match report today for the Guardian on him winning his quarterfinal. And Courtney and I talked about it a little bit briefly on the show yesterday, and she didn't really engage with it because her take is sort of she just doesn't want to really spend her time talking about Zverev, which I which I understand. And it's obviously this is our podcast; we're not being assigned stories by anybody else. But I'm and I and so we'll see how I'll, I'll see if like Zverev makes the final, or whatever how we'll how we'll handle it. But what do you? How how do you as a as a reporter as a journalist as someone assigned to cover the tournament and his matches I guess specifically today, how do you approach writing about Zverev, or talking about Zverev, or considering Zverev, assessing Zverev, whatever it is, this year you know in the wake of the accusations made late last year, how do you sort of process what your response how what you what you're how you're supposed to talk about him? Because I, th- I think it's still. Yeah. Tricky. Yeah. Oh, it's re- it's really tricky. I mean, I, I told you before that, you know, I I, I was in, I thought long. I mean, I, put, I thought a lot about whether or not to, you know, what to put in in the you know the pieces about the match. And actually, it was only so the piece I wrote today was a holding piece, you know, for the far more interesting match that just happened with Sissipas mm-hmm. and So, but but even in even in this, you know. Uh, it's it's very difficult to know like to know how, how to approach it. Like so for us, we've kind of you know I haven't written about Zverev much, but the few mentions of him, you know, that we've linked to the article, you know, like as like a related article thing, you know, that's all that's always been like linked, so people can you know immediately see you know what I wrote, my thoughts about it. Because I mean, I've already the thing is I've already said my thoughts about. You know the fact that the ATP need, didn't respond to, to the initial allegations, and, and it needed to be investigated, and and blah blah blah. So I mean, it's even difficult for me. You know, I, do, do I should, do I need to repeat myself every time? So it's just, yeah. It's, just it's, it's yeah, it's very difficult. And, and the the deeper he goes in, well, you speak. Go on. Well, no, I was gonna say. I mean, superstar, you know, tweeter of Europe, uh, Jose Morgado. I remember tw- talking about this, I think, even in the context, even as early maybe as, you know, World Tour Finals or something, you know, saying something along the lines of, because he's obviously a very frequent tweeter, you know, like in live tweets, a lot of matches and stuff. And him saying something like, yes, I think these allegations or whatever are serious and should be looked into, but I can't mention them every time he hits an ace. 
You know, like there at some point either or I mean, that's one thing you can say, but you don't have to talk about his aces isn't one take too. like you shouldn't be, you know, talk, discussing him as if it's a normal goings on either. I think it's one side of the the conversation. But you're right that I think this all comes down to the ATP. I mean, like this remains even though it's been even time has passed, but that's kind of that's the only the only resolution that we've been offered has been the passage of time. Right. Like nothing is any more settled or resolved uh, than it was in November, meaningfully. And for me, it's still sort of an open, festering wound yeah. in the sport that is unaddressed and, and untreated. And it is, it is very, uh, in that way, sort of, I think, painful and injurious for the sport, yeah. you know, to, to be still carrying this around and to not to not be acknowledging or trying to do anything to cure it or rectify it or treat it or uh, disinfect it, whatever you do to wounds. I'm mixing my metaphors here. But, you know, like, it's, it's, uh, it's still... I think the ATP's failure to do anything, and I, and I still have reporting on this, hopefully coming out soon. Um, I keep saying that, but <laughs> I hope uh, <laughs> that. Um, yeah, I I just think that I think it I think it's just everybody a huge disservice. I think it does media a huge disservice. I think it does fans a huge disservice. I think I could certainly argue that it does Vera a huge disservice. They've done nothing to try to meaningfully. Uh, clear his name if that's something that they think could be possible you know they haven't done any even if they if they launched an investigation that would resolve that would resolve it in some way or there'd be something to point to or something yeah. anyway but it's just it's it's uh it's still you know and, and the other thing that i where I, I sort of wonder about being broken record versus not is i also get the sense because especially watching and i don't watch a ton of tennis channel i usually watch more uh, of the single court feeds when i can and i haven't watched much of in 2021 honestly but it's not being discussed on air very much either. So I remember when when Zverev made the quarterfinal against Djokovic in Australia, which was obviously uh, five months ago, so maybe, or four months ago, so maybe things have changed in the time intervening, but seeing a lot of people on Twitter in Australia who were like media types in Australia being like, oh, you know, go Zverev, we hate this Djokovic guy down here, you know, because yeah. of the list of demands or whatever. And then other people in their mentions being like, and this happened repeatedly in a few different interactions I saw, saying, whoa, you know, what about this about Zverev? And people didn't know. Like, it's not getting talked about. So people still, as much as, you know, I'm proud of that reporting, I, it has not been seen everywhere. You yeah. know, it, it, there's plenty of people who still wouldn't know about it if they're less engaged in the sort of day-to-day of, of, of Twitter and, or, you know, of, of tennis and of social media, because you're not hearing about it from most of the, most of the media types. And then sometimes when you do, you know, like John Inverdale on ITV, oh, um, which I, I, I didn't, and that interaction was overall, I obviously heard about it first on Twitter and, and then tracked down the video based on people's sort of horror at the way Inverdale was talking about it. Inverdale, uh, veteran British broadcaster was talking about, Seeing if Zverev, if there was a way for Zverev to, to package, you know, this sort of stuff into into making him more of like a bad guy, bad boy image on tour, and Jim Courier was not really having any of that. And Jim Courier, well, the, the conversation opened with, "Why do you think people have such a hard time warming to Zverev right now?" And Courier being like, "Uh, I think it's pretty clear, John, what's going on here." And even that, I just really appreciated Courier being much more direct about it than I heard from anybody. And I thought Courier all in all handled yeah. that well, but yeah, I'm curious. Anyway, I'm curious just to sort of your your final thoughts on anything I said on on what uh, on how this works going forward because Zverev is very possibly two matches away from winning this Grand Slam. He can very much win this tournament. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say you know if, if he does make the final, if he does become a big story of this event, then certainly 
people who don't mention it, that that's a problem. Mm. I think since it's since it's part of you know when when he's you know as we said he he hasn't f- faced a seeded player yet. He's you know there there have been other things. You know he's he's kind of been relatively under the radar, but once he's in full view, if you're not kind of describing the whole picture and and telling and showing everything that's happening uh, then that's I, I don't think that is the right way to report on him and yeah and, and, and I, I, as you said before this does come down to the ATP I, I still just think that you know so those, those allegations were a lot, a lot of them happened at ATP tournaments mm-hmm. and you know and apparently involved some someone within the sport and so ignoring it when other sports aren't you know even other sports who are criticized for the way they handle these issues can no longer do that it's it's very frustrating i I fully agree there yeah no and we see you said this this week with uh or not maybe last week with nike dropping neymar Junior, I think it was, for not participating in some sort of investigation into some um, assault allegations against him or some sexual harassment, something along those lines, uh, allegations against him, and Nike dropped him. Yeah, we'd just like to see any sort of initiative to show that they gave a shit from the ATV. Yeah. It's really, it's, yeah. it's all I'm asking. Just show that you give even the littlest, the littlest of shits, because right now it doesn't seem that way, and it's, it's, it's off-putting. Speaking of happier topics than that, the women's quarterfinals today were both fantastic. Both went into overtime. Uh, Tamara Zidancic winning 8-6 in the third over Paula Bedosa. A uh, very up-and-down match that Zidancic came out on the top end of. And then the other one, Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova winning 9-7 in the third over her doubles partner, Elena Rabakina. We're now going to have a semifinal at a Grand Slam between Tamara Zidancic and Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova. Really, if this had been a first-round match, it would have been one that nobody circled as an interesting one, honestly. And now yeah. we're getting it as a semifinal. It's it shows again the sort of power of the draw, like because they really could have played each other first round. And it would have been a non-event. Yeah. So, what do you make of of this matchup? They're both as much as I sort of that sounds. I don't want that to sound you know disparaging what I just said about this the lack of marquiness of this. They're both obviously playing very well. Zidanecic especially, I mean, has had no sort of reputation, I think, really in the sport of being. She won bowl a couple times, you know the the tournament, is, yeah. you know bowl and Garros they call it in Croatia, um, but she comes through here uh, playing very solid. And as Courtney said, she hasn't played a talking about her before, and I was sort of dismissing her as being the one of the eight who I didn't really think had a plausible narrative to win the title. Sedancic has not played a bad match. She beat Andrescu first round, and she really kind of dictated a lot of this match. She looked very comfortable the whole time in this match against Bedosa and. Forehand was really good, but Osa was much more up and down, and, and Zidancic was was solid, and and I really think she's a real chance of beating Pavlyuchenko after seeing that performance. So, so what do you make of yeah. uh, of the of these yeah. two winners and and the semifinal we got here? So, so with Zidancic, I think the, the thing that impresses me is just that, like as you said, she beat um, Andreescu in the first round, and we've seen things like that a million times where a player gets an upset early on and then just you know fizzles out, and the fact that she's just kept on going and gone through the draw is that's impressive and, and as you said she you know she was up against Badosa who's bigger stronger you know in theory has more weapons and she controlled like she completely controlled that match you know with her forehand also like with her kind of guile and her drop shots and her movement and mm-hmm. whatever so like 
like that was you know it was that match was up and down there was there were parts that were you know uh, particularly after she kind of started in the second set you know there were parts that were not high quality at all but then there were parts that you know were really impressive yeah and so yeah it's, it's hard to know what to make of that I'm, I'm still amused by you know in, in our chat when someone was asking when when the last time someone <laughs> of her, her rank her ranking reached the the semi-final of Roland Garros and then you're like uh, it happened two slams ago. Yeah, with, it was um, it was literally the last Roland Garros. It was even more obscure with yeah. Podoroska making it. This goes to another question I was having with some other in, in non the not our main group there, but some other, some other person asked me, does this kind of result? And obviously, if Shvantec wins, it's it's different. But like this general sort of tenor of the, of this group of players we have being so different, being so so much turnover. In contrast to the men's draw, as you said, I mean, the men's draw has been relatively chalk. Bottom half is three of the top, you know, four players on that half making it through. It's likely still going to be Djokovic and Nadal. We'll talk about that briefly later. But does it sort of devalue the sort of currency of a slam or a slam run when it's spread out so much between different players? You know, like, how do you, how do you think about that? Like, someone like... Like Pavlyuchenkova and Zdancic being a recent example, is it like less cool or less sparkling to make a slam semifinal now because so many other people have done the same thing recently, or is yeah, it, I mean, or, or is or is that not fair? I mean, I, I think you're right. Just, just the fact that it, it's so open and and that in any given day anyone could make it. Yes, it's, it's a reflection of of depth as everyone talks about, but it's mm-hmm. also a reflection of the fact that the, the top players haven't been, aren't able to consistently win and to consistently yeah. hold them off and, and blah 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 and and you know we, we've obviously talked a lot about you know the, the new generation and, and Triontek and, and Osaka and, and, and I mean there are actually kind of obvious reasons why these draws have ended up this way I mean not that you know Osaka obviously clay isn't a thing but in terms of like Halep oh not I mean there. Barty pulled out and both Osaka and Bart and and sorry Hallett pulled out and both Barty and Osaka withdrew without losing a match. I mean, Barty was losing, yeah. but they both exited, you know, under compromised situations in the second, from the second round of the tournament, which was going to help de- destabilize the draw for sure. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. yeah. So it, it's, it's quite a, a unique situation, but, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it just, you know, on one hand, I thought this was great, but just because, I mean, as, as people have said, I, I don't, this was four players who just desperately wanted to be there and, and, you know, just were fighting to the death to yeah. get there, and 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 that was really entertaining to see. But I mean, the it is kind of difficult, just just when can it one year, because cause, I mean, as you said before, we, most of these like results aren't out of nowhere. You know, whether Pavlyuchenko were making the Miami semi final, whether it's I don't know Madrid, yeah, yeah, yeah. Madrid, sorry, Miami. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but every year it's different, right? Last year, last year it was Podoroska who, you know, she she was playing really well on the ITF, and it yeah. just I don't know, it just it's not random, random. Like it's that's hard to say. Random is it's not truly random. And Courtney's obviously talks this way, and Courtney follows the tour week by week, working for the tour in a way that I don't, yeah. you know, pay attention granularly that kind of stuff of who's really surging in, you know. Um, Istanbul or whatever the tournament may be that's, you know, a smaller clay event. And both Bedosa and Goff and Krejcikova, who, are, who were still in this tournament starting today, you know, all won 
250s on clay, you know, and so that those results did matter. They often don't, you know, it's not often yeah. the Strasbourg champion is meaningfully in the mix in, yeah. in Paris. So, you know, it's, I don't think it's, I, I think especially today, it's just one of those things with women's tennis, right? Where like, these matches were not bad at all. That's not what I'm trying to say. Like, these were good matches. Like, these were like, yeah. the competitive, the level was good. The competitiveness was good. The tenacity was good. It's just, it's just the sort of, and so like, if you, if you had tickets to the quarterfinals of the French Open, you showed up in your seat in Chatry to sit down and watch your quarterfinals, you would have had a good product in front of you, right? Like, you should have left satisfied yeah. by what you saw today. And that's the most important thing. It's hard to make it in grand sweeping narratives about, you know, destinies and, and, and stars being born or whatever, just because you just don't know, you know, and, and those yeah. sort of more, it's more a challenge on the narrative side than I think it is really a diminishing of the on-court product. And there have been times of bad on-court product on both tours, obviously, this has happened, you know, in terms of, I bring it up a lot, but like, cause I don't think it's talked about enough how bad the 2019 French Open Women's Final was with Bardi and Mandrosha. That was an oh, awful, good. that was an awful match, but yeah. That being that one sort of excluded, most of them have been pretty good in these late rounds of yeah. slams. No matter no matter the sort of carnage or chaos or whatever you whatever you want to call it. So I I, yeah. I, I have hopes that you know both Pavlichenko and Janicek seem help, relatively healthy. I, I'm hoping that they both turn around well from these long matches with a day off and uh, can play can play some uh, good ball in the semifinals against whoever they yeah. might end and whoever whoever makes it will play well in the uh, in the finals in the as final. well. Yeah. Um. Briefly, thank you for being here tomorrow. Briefly, anything you want to say about these matches tomorrow? Uh, the other four quarterfinals happen tomorrow. The women's are Gaul versus Krejcikova and Sakari versus Sviantek. And then the men have Djokovic Berrettini and then Nadal versus... Uh, Nadal versus Schwarzman. Uh, Schwarz Diego Schwarzman. Schwarzman. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what do you make of... Any, any thoughts on any of those matches? One you're most looking forward to or uh, something that'll be pivotal? Quick I'm, I'm interested to see another... Like I'm, I've been in, I'm enjoying Shuantek's run and mm -hmm. the fact that everyone is actually trying to come for her crown and and she's fighting them off. You know, I'm, I'm I've been impressed by that. That play, players are playing well against her, mm -hmm. and and she's so far been equal to it. Ah, I'm curious to see if Goff can, you know, I mean that's this is a really difficult match and if she navigates that, I'll, I'll be very to to make a slam semi final. At 17, that's a step forward. I will say about golf, I, actually, it's been fun just to watch, you know, and people have talked about this, I think, that in her first kind of breakthrough matches, like, there were so many scrappy matches and just, like, yeah. fights. And, you know, <laughs> like, the, the Herzog match where they were just hitting, like, 90 slices back and forth <laughs> with each other. Um, and But this has been, like, since this yeah. play season, you're just seeing the way her, her, her game start develop and you're seeing, you know, the quality, right? Which yeah. is what... I wasn't always sure about, you know, I wasn't sure which yeah. way it was going to go. Because she was winning brawls. So, she was winning kind of like Junior Z kind of yeah. wins, honestly, against the Herzog, yeah. against, I think Courtney mentioned this too, against like Babos of the US Open. Yeah, Potopova, yeah. Babos of the US Open. Those were like really scrappy sort of matches. And here she is stepping up and bossing, you know, she's, yeah. she's being in control, beating Jibber, a player like Jabir three and one. She's, she's yeah. really, she's really, which you have to do. You have to be more efficient than that. You can't, be going, you know, toe to toe. And this is not, you know, honestly, a little bit of the conversation around like Zverev too. You know, like Zverev used to, for in his career, it still does against Oscar Atta in this tournament, but plays these like unnecessarily long matches, and you got to cut that shit out. You know, like you yeah. got you, you if you want to be playing seven matches and being a contender, you got to win the ones that you should be winning easy. You got to win them easy. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, I won't say the saying, but there's a there's a tagline that goes with that. 
about winning slams. Oh, mug pushing, anyway. mug, mug pushers don't win slams. Of yes, course. mug pushing does not, does not win you slams. Yeah. Um, not that's not a specific comment on anyone, but that's that's those are the rules of tennis. That was the rules of twenty twenty of the twenty twenty men's U.S. Open. My God, that tournament. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, in the men's, what is there to say? It's, it it seems like we're we're on track for unless something dramatic happens, we're on track for a collision course. Don't you think? Which one is the more likely upset? Do you think Berrettini or Schwartzman? Neither. Your face says neither. <laughs> You're not buying it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess I'd say Berrettini just because. I mean, we what, what happened with Mazzetti and I mean Berrettini could. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, you're asking me what's the most likely, so. We got a, we got but an I'd email. From, we got an email from a cranky reader I was reading earlier today before starting on the show, who was saying that we were too easy on Musetti for uh, the way he bailed on that match down four zero in the fifth, saying he just didn't feel like he was winning points anymore and wanted to stop. Um, what did, what did you make of that? I, I mean, I found it hilarious. That was just like one of the most absurd answers. Just because he was like someone, just the way he was asked if he had an injury, and it was like, no, 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 I'm not injured. Uh, but I actually don't care. This is his, his first slam, and, and very few people reach the fourth, uh, reach the fourth round of their first slam and play the number one, and and then win the first two sets against the number one. You know, normally you you, you that stuff and any nonsense comes out against someone. Not nonsense, but like you know. You, you you go through other players. Maybe you lose in the second round to Schwartzman in five mm-hmm. sets, and you 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 know, or you're Grigor Dimitrov, and you know you you play gas game. You, you're cramping on the chair at Roland Garros that that year. Mm. Um, you know, against but not Deep uh, cut. that oh, happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's 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 such a like vivid memory of of him like <laughs> just like crawling onto the chair yeah. while cramping. Um, but yeah, so, so I don't know. I, I think it was. I mean, it was just weird and a weird thing to like be so adamant about saying you know but i mean he's you know it's his it's his first time if he's still doing this in 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 for like you know when he's built up more you know experience then i mean look at the opponent he was playing Djokovic early in his career had so many dodgy retirements you know circa 06 07 whatever where he was just sort of getting beaten and quitting grand slam matches so that was that's yeah people grow out of that you know at the very least, I'll go with a better answer next time. But yeah, but also, you know, there's yeah. it's nothing, it's like sort of, ch- it didn't bother me also because it's sort of like, you know, in chess, let's say, you know, if, if when a player who's a smart player to know, to read the board can read it and say, oop, I've, I'm beaten, they knock their king over, they resign, and it's it, it's over before they actually play out the final moves. And <laughs> yeah. Maybe this was just that from uh, Lorenzo Mazzetti, the grandmaster. I mean, with, honestly, with, with everything, every comment Djokovic has made about younger generation, I, I enjoy a lot. You know, he, he clearly was very satisfied by the fact that he broke a player. And, and yeah. I mean, he didn't say this, but like, I, I imagine he's he kind of, he, he you enjoy the fact that you, you push someone to the, physically to the point where they retire. That that that's, that, that feels reflects good. well well yeah that reflects well on your fitness. So I don't think he's gonna be he went to bed crying over the fact that he didn't win two games. You no, know? no. And everyone saw plenty of tennis in that match. It was deep in the fifth already, or it was late in the fifth, if not deep. So anyway, Tumani, thank you for being here. Any other sort of um, Roland Garros reflections from the first ten days you want to share before we uh, let you go? Talk, talking about Pavlyuchenkova, um, she's. Yeah, I, I enjoy the fact that she's an adult in the room. That she, you know, you know, as as I'm sure you've like experienced this as a journalist. I mean, 
we've both been doing this for a long long time now, right? It's been like a decade, mm-hmm. over a decade or whatever. And so you, you see these players kind of grow from being kids to, you know, actually, you know, you, you see them change. And I don't know, it's, it's, it's cool to, to witness that and to see them come with, you know, to come with wisdom and, well, just to to know more about themselves and, and around the court and the way they handle themselves. So, yeah, it's cool to see that. Yeah. I think you mentioned yeah. the part that I'm going to edit out the, the podcast. But yeah, she was a good podcast guest. People didn't hear it. And she was on after she won her second round match. Recommend listen to Pavs, who's in her first semifinal. Ten years after making her uh, first quarterfinal and losing seven, I think, or six or seven previous quarterfinals, uh, she played. She finally breaks through today against Rubakina. Nice to see for her. And, yes, yeah, thank you. Speaking of pre- previous podcasts, thank you to everybody who supported MCR uh, along the way on this uh, during this Roland Garros. We have a couple of new backers to thank since the last show. We have Kidda. So thank you to Kidda. And also to Ashley Keel, who bumped up to being a, uh, a higher tier backer, actually all the way to Slam Champ back here. So we'll be hearing Ashley Keel's name a lot more. We thank the Slam Champ backers every episode. And they are Susanna W., Sean Mulroy, Mary Crillo, Leah Williams, Liz Kennel, Jonathan Weinbaum, John Simeon, James Hindle, James Hindle Audrey Wellens, Antonio Maycumber, Anna Valinder, Timothy Liu, and Ashley Keel. And thank you to our GOAT backers, Mike, Nicole Copeland, Pam Shriver, and J.O.D. Tumani, what's sort of what what's popping in the R and B world these days? What's uh, what's what are, what are you enjoying, or what what's your musical taste leaning towards lately? As as we as we set up an outro for you here, Foo, I didn't for I didn't introduce you properly earlier for our Spain and Sub-Saharan Africa correspondent. Yeah, I was, I, was, I was very offended, but I just I had to move on quickly. Well, you didn't even bring but, up. You could have brought the sort of Spanish insight on Davidovich Volkina. We didn't get any of that either. So you know, I'm not going to say that either. But anyway. Um, yeah. What are you uh what are you listening to? What what is a good what is a good Tumani theme song these days? Uh you, every time you put me on the spot, I don't know. Um Well how about you take some time to think about it and then I'll just play it. You know, we'll hang up here. Yeah. I'll you'll think about it, I'll I'll insert it here and it'll be lovely. Okay? It'll be beautiful. Okay. All right. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Au revoir. Right. That makes me about your love that makes me weak and knocks me 